Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. This is episode 27 and the fifth episode of our Talking Shop series where we discuss some of the writing tools that we've been using over the past month or so. So we should probably jump straight into it. Sarah, what is your tool of the month this month? This month, I decided to talk about the story grid, which I have mentioned once or twice before. So what it is, is, well, it's also, it's a book and a podcast that I'm kind of talking about, but we'll start with the book. I was just about to ask you, is it a podcast? We'll start with the book because the podcast came from the book. Right. The book was written by Sean Coyne. He's well, he was a very seasoned editor. Then he was an agent for a period of time. And then now I think he mainly just writes his own and he owns a publishing company along with Stephen Pressfield, I do believe. It's a very convenient last name for a publishing company. You said Pressfield, right? Well, yes. Although it's under Sean's okay. Coin's like, name, I think. So it's Black Irish Publishing, I think. I do okay. believe. <laughs> it's more just a independent one that they've set up for themselves. So right. they edit each other's work and yeah, put out books to help writers. And one of those books is the Story Grid. Mm. And basically, so the Story Grid is a tool that helps you structure a novel and helps to ensure that you're hitting sort of key plot points. I used it for the thriller that I wrote by myself and it really helped me to write faster in some respects because some of the brain work is kind of taken out when you know you know you have a hero, you have a villain and there's certain conventions that you need to hit in order to satisfy the readers. It's easier to make an intriguing plot line. It doesn't mean like I think a lot of people think you know if you're following like a, a structure like that that it can become kind of generic and sort of lose some of the creativity from it but I don't think it does because it is quite a broad structure like it's more right. just saying you know these are key things that uh, most of the books in this genre or even movies in this genre follow and if you don't have some of these key things then you're going to feel like there's something missing and the readers might not necessarily know what it is, but they're going to be like, get to the end of the book and feel quite dissatisfied with it and be like, mm, I didn't really gel with that book for whatever reason. And it could be because that you're missing one of these key plot points. So he developed a method of going through and creating a structure to follow firstly, and then following your genre conventions. He hasn't, he doesn't list all of the different genres because, you know, there is a little bit of work to do in recognizing that yourself. Yeah. So he, he doesn't talk about like every single genre, like, you know, in love stories, there must be, you know, the protagonist and then their love interest. And then another person that's like competing against that love interest. There's things like that, that are sort of tropes of certain genres, but he does go through specific things like you know the inciting incident you must have a climax to every scene and he talks about like the structures of scenes so that you know that you're hitting like all the points in the scene 
and then relating that to the overall book. So, you know, you've got certain points within a scene, you've got a certain arc that goes over the whole book and you've got arcs that goes over like particular segments as well. So he talks a lot about that kind of stuff. He does give some examples, like he gave an example of thrillers. So what the typical conventions might be in a thriller. So people can visualize the sort of things that you're looking for. Um, it was very helpful considering I was writing a thriller to have it already laid out. I must say that. <laughs> I was going to say that must have been useful. Yes. But so for a thriller, he said, every good thriller usually has an inciting crime. It usually has a MacGuffin. So something that the villain is after. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that's really important to the plot line, but it's kind of gets the ball rolling. I think we've talked about it before and it sort of introduces a want for the villain and for the protagonist as well. And it might be something totally irrelevant and kind of menial, but it just gets things started. And it might be just mentioned sort of in passing in those first few chapters. But so it has to have an inciting incident. Uh, MacGuffin has to have red herrings. Um, so, you know, the confusing parts that make a thriller more mysterious. <laughs> And a speech in the praise of the villain. Um, so usually there's someone's like, oh, this guy is so great. He's amazing. Blah, 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 blah. And sometimes it's even the protagonist that bad. thinks that. It might even be the, yeah, your hero that thinks the villain is great. But then he finds out that no, he's not. <laughs> so then the stakes must become personal for the hero. There must be a hero at the mercy of the villain scene. And there must be a false ending. So... It must be two endings. So, you know, when you're watching a thriller movie and you think everything's fine and they've resolved it and then suddenly the... Like, oh no, that one thread. The monster, like, <laughs> comes back or the serial yeah. killer isn't actually dead and then they have to, like, battle again. <laughs> so I was going to ask how you found writing, this is a bit off topic, but whatever, how you found writing to the story grid with your thriller versus our, I guess any of ours which don't strictly follow it I think even though we didn't set out to follow it I think our books still do follow like even when you're thinking about the two endings I'm not going to give away our book ending but you can view like you know we had an event that's close to the end that sort of looks like an ending and then there's something that happens after that in the yeah. first one for example yeah and so you can you can view that as two endings. And we do have even like, yeah, we'll take the first one of ours, for example, the speech in, in praise of the villain. We have that kind of more towards the middle of the book or the yeah. sort of last third, really. So that's and that's usually where you'd find that speech in praise of the villain kind of as well is usually sort of going into the last third where they're all together hiding I think you probably oh, yes. know where I mean. Yeah. Yes. So that would be our speech in favor of the villain. Yeah. So I think we did really hit these points without really knowing it. I right. think it helped, as I said, I think it helped me write it faster for my book right. because yeah. I knew where I was heading. It kind of gives you a roadmap to say, mm -hmm. oh, here's our destination instead of kind of wandering around here and going a bit off track and being like, oh, oops this doesn't feel right for whatever reason. And then like slowly working it out on your own, it was kind of like a 
you know, a highway to get to each point. Yeah. Which possibly is why it reads quite fast and why I've had to (laughs) expand it a bit. (laughs) But it did help a lot, I feel. But yeah, so other things that it goes over is it kind of asks key questions that you kind of need to know about for your book. And if you're looking at having it traditionally published, editors are going to be asking these questions when they read it as well. Or if, you know, any agent is reading it, they're probably going to ask similar questions of, you know, what is the genre? What are the conventions and the obligatory scenes of that genre? What's the point of view? What are the objects of desire? What's the controlling theme or idea? And what's the beginning hook, the middle build and the ending payoff? So those kind of things are really key to have in mind. And if you don't have an answer for those things, then most often you're going to find that the conflict doesn't peak and kind of resolve in the way that's going to sort of make sense and flow. But so I will just mention briefly as well is that the podcast. So the deal with the podcast is that and initially Sean Coyne had written this book and then Tim Grahl decided to host this podcast and asked Sean to be a part of it, where they were basically going to demonstrate how the story grid might be used. So if you go to the story grid podcast and go right from like the beginning episodes, it takes you back to when Tim Grahl had not published a single book. He wanted to become a writer. And then Sean Coyne kind of coaches him through the story grid. And so you get to see sort of his development as a writer and that's quite cool yeah it links to some of his early writing as well so you can see a bit of his development how he improved things and the sort of advice that Sean Coyne gives him as an editor going through it as well so it's quite interesting to listen to and I would definitely recommend it it sounds really yeah no it does sound interesting it's a big topic I was about to say I struggle with story structure books I can find them a bit dry I've tried a few Mm. And I always sort of just, I find most of them have a little outline somewhere and I kind of just look at them like, mm, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I have to say, I haven't read cover to cover of the story grid yet. Like I've kind of taken out bits of it yeah. that I feel is a more relevant to me because it discusses different types of stories and the way, mm-hmm. like different structures that you can use and things like that as well. So not all of it is going to be 100% relevant for the story that you're writing like at the moment. But Mm -hmm. it has like a really good overview of the methodology of story and how to create a story rather than just flailing about and wondering. (laughs) Did they have a historical fiction section? I think that kind of is covered by like a broader, I want to say genre, but I think he terms it something else. But yeah, like it it breaks it all down. It's got like all right. these genres there that's like kind of broken down into this five leaf clover. Time, content, structure, style, and reality. It sounds really interesting though. Yeah, yeah. Especially the podcast sounds quite intriguing. It is quite good. Yeah. I quite enjoyed it. There's some parts that I guess because it's it's focusing on Tim Grau's journey as a writer, you know, like you listen to some parts and some parts more relevant and useful than others. Yeah. There are times when I was listening to it and I was like, mm, I'm not 100% sure if I totally agree with that. But like mostly, you know, I get that with probably every podcast, very opinionated person. <laughs> <laughs> 
who am I to be questioning an editor though after all <laughs> but you know like most of it is very useful advice and you know mm-hmm. he does say that there is the odd occasion where it doesn't the story grid doesn't necessarily fit perfectly for yeah. every single situation most of the times it does and sometimes it can be due to your interpretation of it so like right. you know certain things have different interpretations and you can look at it and be like well you know you might have covered this point but maybe it wasn't covered strongly enough that's there but it needs to be brought out a bit more and mm-hmm. it's interesting like listening to yeah their talk and creating this book because it I mean, it's Tim's book, but it's kind of like a collaborative work in the ways that Sean Coyne is like reviewing each sort of couple of chapters and stuff. Right. It's very interesting. It's kind of similar in some ways to how we do things, I thought. Yeah, critique as we go, which is quite handy. Yeah. So what was your choice for the month? So this month I have picked another grammar book. It It has been recommended to us a couple times, I think, by people in our author spotlight segment i know mh woodscourt recommended it so that's the elements of style by william strunk and eb white it is a little oh i think it's 80 something pages so it's nice and short book i read it in two hours and it is excellent so I've got a few little quotes here. So the, the New York Times describes it as it's timeless as a book can be in our age of volubility. And then the Boston Globe says no book in shorter space with fewer words will help any writer more than this persistent little volume. And that is very true. It's very condensed. It is a book of essentially seven rules of the usage of grammar, 11 principles of composition, and a few little bits about form and a list of misused words and expressions. It's like a treasure trove of information, though. Wow, that's kind of cool. And I think it probably, it's really good as a like a reminder of things. Mm-hmm. Which I think when you're writing a lot, you can forget a couple bits. So, you know, I'm getting better at not using the words like just or only. And I try and Mm -hmm. keep my sentences short and I cut out that. But there's some things I've forgotten about along the way and will probably need to revise. So that was quite good. So a few bits that I've highlighted. So one thing that stuck with me, which probably summarizes the whole book, is a quote by William Strunk at the beginning. He says, vigorous writing is concise. A sentence should contain no unnecessary words. A paragraph, no unnecessary sentences. For the same reason that a drawing should have no unnecessary lines and a machine, no unnecessary parts. So it's all very much about saying things as concisely and meaningfully as you possibly can with Mm -hmm. correct grammar. So there are a few bits that, well, I pulled them out because they're bits that I've realized I've started doing again. And so likely when I get back to editing, I'll go through and try and fish them out a bit. So one of them was put statements in the positive form. So that would be things like, instead of saying not honest, use dishonest, or did not have much confidence in instead of distrusted. And I've noticed, I was like, oh, I've been doing that a lot recently. (laughs) I think it might be a symptom of the genre a little bit. Mm -hmm. So going back to that and like, you know, trying to make sure that I'm using, you know, concise language for that because it doesn't necessarily need to be that wordy. Yeah, I've had that a couple of times where you write it and then you're like, I could have just used two words and I've used five. Yeah. Almost done like, you know, those sort of double, what do you call them? <laughs> like the like the double negative type ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
and done like a I double thought, negative. And you're like, I could have just used this. So I think that's one thing I might, when we're editing, go through and look for all the knots because I know that I've used them quite frequently. So I'll add that to my list. It just sounds like ancient speaking. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so I think that's... Thinking like Victorian or something. <laughs> Our ancient Greeks are going to sound like Victorians. Yeah. <laughs> So that's I hope not. that's one that's one part that I I pulled out and you know took some advice from and the other is using the phrase the fact that I don't use it that often although I did notice I said it in the last podcast. <laughs> However, I think William Strunk has a very apt description of using the fact that. So he says, the fact that is an especially debilitating expression. It should be revised out of every sentence in which it occurs. So that would be something like, owing to the fact that, where you could just say, since. Or, in spite of the fact that, we could say, though. Or, call your attention to the fact that, which could just be, remind you. So I know I do that a lot of my scientific writing, a lot, so... Mm-hmm. I like the idea of getting rid of it because <laughs> it sounds on the surface, it sounds, it sounds okay. But then you realize you can just use one word to replace it. And you're like, mm, that's definitely more concise. <laughs> yeah. We'll probably have a bit punchier when you're reading it as well. The other thing I came across was more just really funny because I hadn't thought about it this way. So it was one of his misused expression or words. And the word was the misuse of the word anybody as in, anybody as a single word in the sense of like any person basically versus the word anybody which was which is two words and then he related it as anybody as two words literally means any corpse or any human form <laughs> and then he was like the rule holds true for everybody nobody and somebody and then I was like every corpse no corpse <laughs> some corpse and I was like oh my gosh so I don't think I'll ever accidentally use the wrong one ever again now that I've had it in that that form in my mind so anyways I'd highly recommend elements of style it's a quick two-hour read tops and it's good just to remind yourself of some of the grammar rules and things and about writing concisely I'm impressed that it's so short for yeah a grammar book because when you mentioned another grammar book I was like wow it's you know like you just when you think of a grammar book you think of like this huge heavy volume that's planted on someone's desk or something never to be opened because no one can be bothered but (laughs) he does seem to cover the points all the points that he brings up are the common point that makes Mm. sense and everything he talks about in the sense of like style is very he explains it very well like he can't really define what style is because style is your thing Mm. and you can't like prescribe it but he gives a few general things and general ways to find your style that's kind of interesting yeah it's quite good I I didn't think I'd enjoy it um but it's one because it was so short you can digest it really quickly and Mm -hmm. you know just pick out those few things that you can immediately implement yeah and I'm sure if I read it again which I probably will in probably a year's time or something I'll find other things in there that I can help to refine my writing a bit more as well fair enough yeah we should probably move on to the what we are reading this month so do you have a book that you're reading well I have a book that I've been listening to it counts I know I've been listening to a couple of audiobooks lately but mainly because I wanted to give myself more time for reading and it seemed like the obvious solution. So I started listening to Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, which it's a good book for sure and it's well written. 
but if I'm being honest, I am struggling with it a bit because I do find it very hard to relate to the characters at all. Oh no. (laughs) So it's about a teenage girl who dies and then the surrounding impact to her family. And it also dives into the reasons of kind of why she died, which is no one's specific fault, but it's like a flow on effect from societal pressure to the family. Or at least that's what I'm kind of assuming at this point. I could be 100% wrong in that, but I think that (laughs) had some clear influence on it anyways. But because the family is a mixed race Asian family and it's set in like the 50s to 70s, I do believe. Okay. And it explores some pretty heavy themes of racism and sexism. So if you've ever watched Mad Men, Mm -hmm. it has like some of the similar kind of themes to Mad Men. Right. And like from watching the TV show, like how I feel about the TV show is basically the same as how I feel about this book is that it's done (laughs) really well. I like it, but the outright racism and sexism leave me with a very bad taste in my mouth and I get kind of angry at it as well. so I find it hard to read from that perspective Mm -hmm. because yeah I get kind of angry I'm like well of course (laughs) no wonder she I'm assuming she may have committed suicide I don't know but it's kind of looking that way currently yeah (laughs) because her parents just they're good people but they just don't understand so we were just like frustrated the whole time we're like just do the thing (laughs) yeah and they're like making all these terrible choices and so oh no what are you doing? <laughs> it just, yeah, it's quite painful to read in some ways. So good book, but sort of be aware that it is, it has some hard, heavy issues in it. Right. Hmm. Noted. And I know it sounds like I've given the ending away, but I ha- actually have not listened to the whole book yet. So I have no idea. I could be completely wrong. Just disclaimer, <laughs> it's not a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> this is your current opinion at whatever point through the book that you are. Yes, based on the events that I have so far read. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. I might be like a third to the half of the way through it. Okay. So that's my current opinion. <laughs> what book have you been reading? So this month I've been reading a historical fiction book again called The King Must Die by Mary Renault. So for the past couple months I've been trying to read within the genre of historical fiction specifically books that are set in ancient Greece so I set out to find the top ones on Goodreads and I think this was ranked number three or four I can't I can't quite remember mm-hmm. anyways it was written in 1958 so it's not really a new book and I learned a new word it is a buildings Roman I'm just going to say it like that because I don't know how to say it Buildings which <laughs> built buildings Roman I don't know anyways it follows basically it's a book that follows a character from his youth to adulthood and it's his coming of age story that's the fancy word for that anyway so it follows the adventures of the mythical king and founder of Athens his name is Theseus and it starts with his childhood in Troizen and then moves through his life fighting all the she's removed the magical part so monsters I'm gonna put in quotation marks Mm-hmm. Right. All of the hurdles in his path, and eventually, apparently, he arrives in Athens. I assume, given that's where he ends up in the myth. So, I haven't gotten quite that far yet. I'm not all the way through. So, I'm kind of I'm on the fence about this book, as I have been with a lot of books recently. It is very, very well written. I read it, and I'm like, I can't even write sentences like that. 
like it's really really good it's definitely more of a literary style as well mm-hmm. however I am really struggling through it I don't know if it's a symptom of the genre because most of the ancient Greece books I've tried to read recently I've had a similar problem with where there's just so much detail that's so intricately described in the book that I struggle to wade through it all yeah it's like they indulge themselves in the detail of the world and I'm like oh my gosh okay I get it can we please move on and not have (laughs) it's okay like it's interesting but it starts with I think the first 12 pages are a sacrifice right obviously very detailed as you can imagine yes and I'm like you clearly researched this very thoroughly but you've sacrificed a horse as is the gist (laughs) of these 10 pages so yeah I've struggled with that and also her writing I've said it has this weird grandiosity through the whole thing which it kind of She's, this is going to be hard to explain. So she's tried to take this myth and bring it into real life. However, the way she's written it feels like a myth still. So it's like kind of weird. Right. We're, yeah. So I've been struggling with that a little bit as well. It's kind of divorces you from it. But... Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I was reading the, uh, I read its Wikipedia page just to see, you know, what other people thought of it. And they're like, she's grounded the myth of Theseus. And I was like, has she? Because that's not the impression I got from the book. <laughs> like, it still feels very gaudy, kind of, you know, Athena and Poseidon, like all the, the gods are there. It's all very, I don't it's a bit weird. I think, you know, you get, especially with historical fiction, that you get those sort of different styles where mm-hmm. some people really like the the more literary like historical style where some people like us we're probably leaned more towards the commercial Mm -hmm. historical fiction style which or we're we're sort of in the middle I guess because we try to do a fair amount of research for it like it's not like we just sort of go (laughs) willy-nilly not saying that you know other commercial writers do but you know when you're doing an ancient Greece book, there is a lot of research to be done. The only sort of one that I have read that's kind of similar to what we've done, which I've discussed with Ashley before, has been Christian Cameron's books, who is a Canadian author. But I noticed that I think he started off kind of like us, not really knowing that much about ancient Greece. I could be wrong, but I kind of got that feeling that he started off like researching more and more and more, like as he got into the novels. And then by the time I got to the fourth one, I was like, okay, now it's too much. (laughs) So I guess maybe he fell into the trap of, you know, the historian side taking over because he ended up doing, I think he's got a degree in like history now like he calls himself an amateur greek historian now so <laughs> i don't think there was that in the first book but i noticed that at the start of the the fourth book or something oh my gosh the lesson i've taken away from it is i will not indulge myself with too much world building or description to try and rein that in because i understand that you want to create the culture and the atmosphere but you don't want to detract from the reading experience so at least that's with the style that we're going for anyway yeah I'm sure you know like it's it obviously has done very well this book yeah no it's very well reviewed and well rated but just my personal opinion but maybe not what we're going for yeah (laughs) it's a little bit much Mm. but then some people might say Diana Gabaldon's books are a bit much and I quite like those so (laughs) Hers are, see, that's the kind of thing that I think hers skew more towards um, 
like a commercial fiction type of mm-hmm. historical fiction rather than um, yeah the literary more literary style yes yeah I should just put out a disclaimer that I've been struggling to read a lot of books recently so it also could be mm-hmm. just me <laughs> <laughs> I think we should probably wrap this up yes what are we doing next time oh so next time it is our main podcast where we are going to be talking about setting and how we create it how we choose where to set our books and how sometimes it's useful to consider setting as an extra character in your novel Very relevant to what we were just talking about <laughs> definitely relevant to what we were just talking about yeah have some interesting things because we can compare both our book series and historical fiction book which should give a nice contrast i think yes i'm quite excited about this next one mm. actually yes so there's still some spots left on our author spotlight section if you would like to be on our author spotlight then head over to lindersoncreations.com click on the podcast tab and it should bring you to or you'll see the drop down menu that has the be featured on dear writer and yeah it'll give you a form that you can fill out helps us know a bit more about you we'd love to chat to you so apply if you'd like to know more about us and our writing projects you can visit us on lindersoncreations.com or get in touch with us on facebook and instagram which has the handle Linderson Creations. and if you enjoy the podcast enjoy listening to us chat to you please rate and review our podcast on your podcatcher of choice so i hope everyone has a great week and happy writing everyone mm-hmm.